Hi and welcome everyone. This is Catherine of the Decoding Seafood and today we're thrilled to have health chef Julia Chobatar. Julia is an award-winning chef and a Food Network's top champion. Based in New York City, Julia has nearly a decade of experience under her belt and she's worked as an executive chef, private chef, and a restaurateur to help bring food to life through bold flavors, colorful ingredients, and some extra spice when necessary. Welcome, Julia. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be doing this podcast today. Well, thank you for taking time out to join us. Um, and to start things off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Yes. <laughs> so, um, as you mentioned, I'm Julia Chepitar, Um, and I am a chef based out in New York City. Um, and I own a small vegan restaurant in the West Village with my family. And I, my main, you know, side of the business is basically I am a private chef to people with some sort of health supportive need. That is kind of my niche. And actually in the past two years throughout COVID, I've kind of been growing the business and we are actually now a private health supportive staffing agency for health supportive chefs. So people who have food allergies, food restrictions, cancer, um, you know, PCOS, they're trying to get pregnant, they're in their um, postpartum stage of pregnancy. Anyone who needs help around food to feel better, that is basically what I do. Well, I think we all need that. For someone to guide us as to what to eat, when to eat it, you know, how much of it to eat. So I'm, I'm sure that's a need that you're, you're meeting. I want to go back to the beginning a little bit. Mm -hmm. and I want to know how did this all start? How did little Julia decide that she liked the nutrition? <laughs> Take, t tell me the story. All right. Well, it's actually very interesting. So I was born in Ukraine. I moved to the States with my entire family when I was a baby. Um, and growing up in, you know, the former Soviet, so I was born, yeah, former Soviet Union. I speak Russian, but you know, things were, it's not like the U.S. Food preservatives weren't a thing in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, I was born in the 80s. Sorry, just to clarify, I'm not. <laughs> but, um, you know, my grandmother and my parents, they grew up fermenting sauerkraut, fermenting tomatoes, watermelon. Whenever there was an excess of some sort of vegetable in the season that it grew, you then fermented it to keep you nourished and healthy throughout the cold months. So... I grew up eating fresh sauerkraut, pickled watermelon, pickled tomatoes, um, different types of pickled vegetables. They were always a staple and they're always eaten throughout the day with all of your meals. And I just think that's so interesting. That's something that we as a, you know, in American Western culture, um, we don't really see that it's popped up only recently as like a food trend. So as a little kid was always cooking with my grandmother uh didn't realize that Americans didn't eat like I did because I remember watching commercials on TV and be like mom I need spaghettios please buy spaghettios all the cool kids are eating spaghettios and pop tarts I need that like I want to be like the cool kids and she's like all right no problem she she makes it for me she heats up the spaghettios according to the package she puts the pop tart in the toaster she places it at my seat and I was repulsed I literally spit the SpaghettiOs out and I was like, mom, please give me your Porsche. 
I would so much rather have your beet soup that was like vegan and clean that I didn't even know what vegan was at the time, but I was just brought up with all of these intentional foods without knowing it. And I guess later on, it kind of sparked everything within me. Um, when my stepfather moved to America in also the late 80s, um, he was a practicing psychologist. And in the early 90s, his mom was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma. And they told her that she basically had like a few months to live. So he didn't want to hear that. He quit his job, moved her to the Berkshires, to the Cushy Institute, which all of this comes full circle because I didn't even know what, I didn't know about the Cushy Institute until later in life, like all the details. And, but I also learned about it in culinary school. So it's so funny that like, it, you know, we we knew about it so long ago and then it full circle comes back when I went to um, the Natural Gourmet, which is like a very health supportive culinary school. But so he quits his job. He moves her to the Berkshires and they live in this macrobiotic vegan institute for about three months. They learn how to make macrobiotic foods, fermented foods, foods that are easy to digest, but have extreme like health benefits. Because as we now know, it all starts from the gut. Mm-hmm. So she actually got rid of her cancer, went into remission, and lived for four more years after going fully wow. vegan and macrobiotic. Um, and when she passed, he opened Organic Grill in her memory. And we've been there since we've been, you know, a, the one of the first organic vegan restaurants in New York City. And in COVID still, strive through. Um, now we're in the West Village, so I guess food and healthy food has always been part of my childhood. Like I, I didn't ever associate my parents as being like hippy dippy, but I was definitely eating kale when kale was not cool and did not have a PR agent. Um, and growing up, cauliflower was such a staple in my house. Hadn't you know what I mean? I really want to get a hold of cauliflower's PR agent right now too, because cauliflower is definitely having a moment. Um, but yeah, so. I grew up with this notion that like food was nourishing, food was healthy, um, food is seasonal. So um, after college, I went to college uh, in Philly for uh, history and psychology because I had no idea what I wanted to do in my life. And after college, my parents were like, you know, you've been working in this restaurant for how long? You basically run it. Why don't you take over and make this your new venture? And I ran the restaurant for about seven years until I gave myself shingles from all of the stress because people assume that, you know, running a restaurant is so glamorous and beautiful and it's a lot of work and people in the restaurant and food industry, they are paid to make you healthier and feed you and they really neglect themselves along the way. And I feel like a lot of people in the restaurant industry, you know, abuse alcohol and drugs and they're on their feet for 18 hours a day they're not properly sitting down to have a meal they're grabbing what's easy what's convenient and but meantime they're cooking all this nutrition nutritious food for their clients so it's like a very interesting catch-22 but after leaving the restaurant industry I decided to become um, a certified health coach and I went to IIN and then I decided to start a website as a private chef you know I've been front of house, back of house, um, 
created all the recipes and all the menus for organic grill. And I decided that like, hey, why not? Why can't I be a vegan chef after all of these years of experience? And I made a website and I got an email and my very first client ended up being Ryan Seacrest. And he flew me out to LA and I cooked for him for like six months and I cooked low histamine, um, blood type diet, vegan diet, low carb for Oscars, you name it, we had to try it. Um, and that kind of escalated and, uh, you know, grew my career. And my parents sat me down one day and they were like, you know what, you feel really, you seem very self-conscious in your abilities. Why don't you go to culinary school, but why don't you go to a very like health supportive program so that you learn the background of how food is nourishing and how certain foods can help and how certain foods can, you know, aid in ailments. Um, and I did that after starting my business, after having all of these amazing clients. And it was the best experience of my life. I highly recommend it for everyone, but I think unfortunately, I was very lucky to go to a program that was health supportive. And I'm noticing now as an owner of a staffing agency of chefs, there is a huge lack in knowledge of health supportive cooking and, you know, what foods to eat when, how to eat them, what foods are paired together. But, um, you know, let's say you're pregnant, you need iron rich foods and you need to stay away from so many different things. And, um, I really want to bring this more holistic side of cooking to the masses and to more chefs. One, to help them succeed and help them be able to make more income by knowing the health supportive side and being able to charge more for um, that knowledge, but also to help us. We need more people to know, to prevent us from eating processed foods, from help to prevent us from eating um, harmful foods to us and to help us and the environment to be more sustainable, to help us and in turn help the environment. So I love that like, it's a, I, that was a long story, but basically I think that food and health have come full circle now in my life from where it originated from learning from my grandmother to running a health supportive restaurant to now trying to expand the knowledge of more chefs to have this health supportive side. So I hope that, you know, there'll just be tons of more knowledge around food and wellness. I love that story. I have to tell you, because I, 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 I love I love things that come full circle. It's like yeah. you started at eight, you know, with your grandmother and and here you are many years later and you're kind of passing it on to to other people, you know, to to understand real food and, and clean food as I as I put it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you. And it's so interesting, like, okay, so I started the business, I went to culinary school, and I wasn't even done culinary school, but I randomly got an email to apply for Chopped. And I applied and I got it. I filmed it in June. I won. And then I graduated school in July. And I was like terrified to tell any of the people in my class that I was like on Chopped and won. Also, I signed an NDA with like the Food Network. But like, it's interesting how the universe opens up once you're like passionate about something. And not only did everything come full circle, but my Chopped episode that I won and my other Food Network shows like Alice Works, Alice Works America and um, Kitchen Crash were all also somehow health supportive themed or vegetarian themed or something that was like magically somehow aligned 
with my version of food and wellness. I'm curious. I, I'm trying to picture a little eight-year-old <laughs> fermented food with her grandmother and how we then dot, dot, dot to you learning how important fermented food is for your gut health. Can you yeah, talk so, about that? Yeah, it's crazy. I don't think it's interesting how trends work and how popular culture picks up things. And now gut health is everywhere. If you're not taking a prebiotic and a probiotic, you're kind of shamed for it at this point. Um, and in ancient cultures, they've been fermenting their foods for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they know that the health benefits behind it. But I honestly had no idea until I got shingles, which is an autoimmune virus mm -hmm. that was due to stress and malnutrition and, you know, just not treating my body the way I should have been due to my stress levels. And not until I went to um, IIN, which is the Integrative School of Nutrition, did I realize how much gut health matters and how it starts with from conception to birth. And there's so many interesting facts that I didn't know that if a baby is born cesarean, and doesn't actually exit the mother's vaginal canal, they don't receive the same gut microbes. Really? So that child that comes from a cesarean could be more susceptible to viruses and like um, ear infections, um, tonsillitis, uh, strep, just like all of these, because they don't have, they didn't have that boost of that gut, gut microbe from the vaginal canal. So some babies, some doctors are swabbing babies' mouths with that um with the microbes from the vaginal canal once they're born cesarean so they like put like a little swab in their mouth so that they naturally get those microbes um or also like breastfed babies versus not breastfed babies completely different gut uh, microbe um and then you know as we get older and we develop hormonal health the gut really re is important there too there are so many incidents like not and processed foods is another issue, but if there's been studies to show that, you know, more and more girls are getting their periods much younger. And that could all be led to gut health and processed foods. So the way and if people were incorporating more fermented foods into their diet, they would naturally have a healthy gut biome to fight off a lot of these autoimmune or virus infections so it, it's fascinating how it all starts in the gut they say that depression not you know like any kind of mood disablers also like it all forms within the gut and it's all kind of a domino effect that will occur in the body if the gut isn't taken care of that's why I love doing these podcasts personally because I learned so much as I know it's so interesting well, I'm going to tag on to the thought of fermented food. Yeah. And I'm sure there are people that are listening. And when you say fermented food, they kind of go, mm, that's kind of maybe smelly or weird tasting. And, and then that, that thought kind of carries over, I think, to, to healthy food. You know, I think that a lot of times people think that if something, if for something to be good for you, it necessarily tastes good. And I know one of the things that you've worked on is to kind of change this perception 
and I know that you're also known as Health Chef Julia. Yeah, no. I want you to just speak to those people that, you know, think that healthy means boring or bland or even yucky. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So I think that that all stems from the lack of knowledge. Like if you look back at American culture in the 50s and 60s and the housewives, it was like a pot roast, you know, maybe some kind of like canned green bean and some sort of starch. So I, I, I think that all kind of started in that mindset and it's not a healthy food being delicious has only been pushed down our throats in the past maybe five years. I think the rest of the stuff that is portrayed in movies, TV shows, commercials, that kind of catches our eye, even the things that look good in the grocery store, are always the things that aren't good for us. Mm-hmm. And they always contain additives and MSG and things that trick our brain into constantly craving them but when i went to culinary school i realized that we mask our food with so much spices and sauces that we don't even actually know what the broccoli tastes like can someone actually tell me what broccoli tastes like without anything they don't know like so i remember in in school the first day we had one day where it was just grains And we had to make 75 different types of grains and try to describe each one. Then we had a day of just beans. Then we had a day of just blanched vegetables. And the process of blanching is basically you throw it into hot boiling water and then you shock it in an ice bath. And that makes it easier to digest and it makes, but it doesn't fully cook off all of the nutrients of the vegetable. So you're getting the most bioavailability that way. And I realized just by blanching vegetables, they develop so much more flavor than they do in the raw form. So yeah, as a child, you're given a piece of broccoli, you're like, this is yucky. Of course it's yucky. It's raw broccoli. It has absolutely no flavor or texture or um, sweetness. But once you flash boil it for like two minutes, drop it in an ice bath and give it to a child, it has a sweet flavor. It has um like a very nice crunch but it's not hard to crunch it's like just simple cooking processes change the format of food and what people are associating with that food um but it's 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 hard to make to change people's minds and perspectives when think about everything that we've ever watched as children it's always that kid that doesn't want to eat his Brussels sprouts that puts it underneath the napkin or feeds it to the dog. So kids watch that and they're like, oh, okay, cool. That's what I have to do when my parents give me, give me vegetables. But then I see other children that from, you know, the time that they're able to eat solids are given and everything from, you know, fish, like um, iron-rich foods, salmon, sardines, uh, dark leafy greens, sauerkraut, kimchi, miso, kombucha, all of these things develop within the child as these are good, these are tasty, I want to keep eating them, but without knowing it, subcon- like not even subconsciously, but without, well, yeah, I guess subconsciously without knowing, they're actually like really nourishing their body and starting from a, n- a young age, they're preventing their bodies from having 
viral infections, colds, COVID, all of the things that kids will bring home. And your kid in turn will be less sick. But every culture has fermented foods. Yes, they're a little bit more um, flavorful than the average, I guess, you know, pot roast and potato American version of dinner from the 50s. But I think it's because it's in the forefront of people's minds and in the forefront of health and wellness now. Kombuchas are delicious. They don't taste bad anymore. And if anyone's ever scared, go try the Pink Lady Health Aid brand. It's apple juice. It's glorious. Drink that a little bit. You know, don't drink one a day, but have one half each day. Um, Miso. Miso is the best replacement for salt. It brings out so much flavor, so much umami, um, and people are scared to to cook with it because they don't know what to do. But literally, put it in your food in replace of salt, and it will wow your taste buds. But it's fermented soybeans, which aid in digestion and gut health and all sorts of things. Um, you know, there's other things like kimchi and sauerkraut, yogurt, kefir, um, and a lot of Ameri- a lot of a uh, lot of Western cultures go for that yogurt that is flavored that has strawberry blueberry vanilla but they don't actually look at the label and see how much added sugar and added preservatives are in that yogurt for it to be that flavor so it all kind of circles back to we need to read labels people need to be a little bit more adventurous when it comes to their palates um start off small start off with little changes here and there like if you like broccoli and you like the roasted broccoli take broccoli take a let's say a quarter cup of uh grass-fed butter because it's a high fat and take about a quarter cup of miso paste mix it together um toss it toss the broccoli in this butter mixture butter miso mixture and roast it and you will have the most delicious broccoli that is so flavorful, um, has so much so much nuance in the flavor and texture. But you've added two ingredients. You've added high, high good fat from the grass-fed butter, which we need. You've added miso, which is a great fermented food for gut health and digestion. And you've added a dark green, which is great for optimal health. So it's just changing certain things within your daily cooking and another big thing is looking at oils and just avoiding anything that has canola oil or a seed oil and um, unfortunately good brands and bad brands have jumped on this health food bandwagon so you can find prebiotics and probiotics but they'll have 75 different things that you've never heard of or you can find kimchi sauerkraut miso tempeh that had a bunch of different ingredients and gums just as binders that you don't need. So yes, being healthy and being conscious in what you're putting in your body is very important, but also being knowledgeable of what ingredients to avoid. I feel like I have parents taking notes as you were going. <laughs> you know, because it, it's it's the truth. A lot of people can't get their kids to try stuff. And like you said, I, I, I am a firm believer that if you start them early, and you just give them those little things, it becomes a part of their habit. Yeah. And they're, they're not habit. And they're not like grossed out by it. like, ew, broccoli. They're like, oh yeah, give me that. I have two little boys um, that are 
one of my clients. And I come in once a week and I do some meal prep and dinner for them because their parents are, are busy. Mm-hmm. And from day one, the oldest boy was 10. They're now like in high school and the youngest was six. And I prepared, you know, I made like a kid-friendly menu because I was like, they're little kids, they're not going to want to eat. The parents call me back and they were like, they would like miso black cod, seared broccoli. They would, they want like, uh, you know, a raw kale salad, a green juice, all of these things. And my jaw dropped. They eat every single vegetable. They eat every protein. And I've never seen that. I have a little brother who's 14 who will not refuses to eat anything that's green. And I'm like, oh, my God, how did you guys do this? And And she was like, they just ate what we ate. We didn't offer them the kid's meal. And I was like, huh, so maybe just, you know, putting your foot down then and really incorporating and eating all the same foods so that your children see that they're eating what you're eating might also have a long impact on them of like what foods they'll reach for in the end. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think I read some place that it, that they said you ha- a child has to try something eight times before they definitively know that they don't. And, and I think that this is why I always tell people, I'm like, you got to keep, you got to keep introducing it. Cause I think, you know, their palates change. You may have introduced it, let's say when they were two, three, they may be more receptive to it, or you have to wait until they're five to be more receptive to it. But you just keep, you keep trying, I guess. Absolutely. Don't give up with the Big Mac. I agree. But I want to switch gears a little bit. I'm going to dive into what, one of the things that you talked about, which was seafood. Yeah, and I want to understand where seafood fits into your message on, you know, innovative, delicious, healthy meals for the family. Yeah, so I struggle with um, animal proteins. I don't struggle like with chicken and beef. There is something I think that as I've gotten older and more into how food reacts in my body, I've lost the taste for chicken and beef, but I will never give up seafood. I think seafood is so valuable and such a part of a healthy, balanced diet. Um, It's a great source of protein. It's a great source of vitamins, nutrients, healthy fats. And I think that it can provide a number of health benefits to reducing so many issues like heart disease, brain health, um, you know, vision, I think that a lot of our hormonal, female hormonal issues stem from we're not eating enough protein. We're not getting enough healthy fats and we're not eating to our cycle, which is kind of then in turn um, messing everything up for everyone in general. So I just think that seafood is incredible. And I think that people are very scared to cook seafood. They think that they're going to, you know, undercook it and they're going to poison themselves, which you kind of can't. It's not like chicken or beef. You are like, you don't like you, you can't, it's not like chicken. You're not going to get salmonella. Um, and I think that people are scared to eat um, fin fish and people are scared to cook with fin fish and people think that it's smelly and people think that it's gross and slimy. Um, but I think that people are underestimating the power of seafood and how rich it is in omega-3 fatty acids and how much we need it to reduce inflammation in the body, lower blood pressure in the body, improve cholesterol, um, by providing good healthy fats 
you know, women have been able to fix fertility issues, have been able to fix digestion issues, have been able to fix hormonal issues, have been able to fix symptoms of PCOS and PMDD and PMS. Um, so I think that by incorporating seafood into the diet, um, try adding fish a few times a week. Like I love um, the meatless Monday message of like trying to incorporate more veggies once a week. Give yourself that same routine two to three times a week of incorporating fish into your everyday food. Because also I think another type of fish that people are sleeping on is canned fish. There is so much nutrients in mackerel, sardines, anchovies. They can be used in so many different ways and they have collagen and healthy fats and omega-3s and omega-6s and just so many good nutrients that I think people have this notion that they're gross, it's smelly, it's oily, it's fattening, but we need the fat. And I think that common food culture has removed all of the fat and replaced it with processed chemicals saying that it's now low fat, low carb, low this, low that. And we're missing on the good fats. We're missing on the high protein, high fat that our body needs to be healthy for our hair, skin, nails, joints, muscles, all of that. So my stand on seafood is that there is a ton of options, fresh, frozen, sustainably sourced, harvested, farmed. Um, I know this might be a controversial topic, actually, because I am a chef, but and I know that sustainability and proper environmentally friendly ways of getting fish is very important to us and the ecosystem. Um, I personally despise, and I'm sorry, that's such a strong word. I do not like sockeye. I find it to be very dry. I find it to be very fishy, but it's actually one of the better wild caught salmon things that we can get on the market. I prefer an organic farmed salmon, but I make sure that I get it from a sustainable source. I make sure that, you know, I look into a seafood watch and I see like, you know, I want to find, I learned about this in culinary school, actually. I had like a very funny, hippy dippy, fabulous gay man teacher who would fly to Korea every year to sustainably um, get caviar from sturgeon in a sustainable way without killing the fish. So they would like, they devised this way to pump out each caviar egg without killing the fish. Cause that's usually how caviar is, um, made. Like they have to kill the fish and get the caviar out. But this way they were able to like slowly have this technology where they're pumping out the caviar and then putting the fish back into the water to keep going. So he also taught me that there are these um, in-water aqueducts. So typically farm-raised salmon is sitting in pellets, eating its own feces, gets dyed coral pellets to have that rich color. But there are aqueducts that are in bodies of water where the fish do have room to move and they do have fresh water circulating. They are not sitting in their pellets. They are not sitting in their feces and they are you know, a healthier and to me a way a much tastier, fattier fish 
that doesn't necessarily have that fishy smell when you're cooking it and it just like melts in your mouth so i think going back to the original question i think people are scared of fish because it is fishy it is smelly it is hard to clean and they're just scared of it they're it, it, it's it's kind of an overwhelming protein to cook when you've never grown up cooking it but the interesting thing is that it is actually cooks faster than fish and then chicken cooks faster than beef um it is healthier it is lighter it's higher in fats and nutrients so i just think people are scared of how to cook it don't know where to source it from and don't know what types of fish to eat and what types of fish to avoid well I'm going to talk for the people out there that you have convinced to add more fish into their diet. <laughs> now, I am going to be meandering into the supermarket or my or my fishmonger or someplace like that. And I am standing there looking at my seafood counter and I have no clue what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Can you give people some tips or pointers when they're buying their seafood? You know, where where they should go, what they should ask, what they should look for. You know, just to to kind of take away some of that intimidation factor. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one thing is, you know, make sure that the fish looks fresh. Make sure that if you're buying a fish that has eyes still on it, that the eyes aren't glossed over. They're not foggy. You don't want anything to look gray or murky. Um, And... If you're thinking you're going to buy a piece of salmon and make sushi from it, that's not how it works. There's different types of sushi-grade fish that you can eat raw and other cuts of fish that you cannot eat raw. So if you are looking to eat raw fish, make sure that you're getting sushi-grade fish. And if you are getting fish to cook or roast or saute or any of that, make sure that it looks, it doesn't have a smell, it doesn't have an odor um and you know look for if you want to incorporate fish into your diet why are you incorporating fish into your diet if you want to incorporate you know more omega-3 fatty acids then to reduce inflammation and help brain function i would go for seafood like salmon sardines mackerel um things like that if you want food if you're low in iron and, you know, you need more iron in your diet. Like if you're a new mom, you're postpartum, if you're anemic, um, you want to go for seafood like clams, oysters, shrimp, um, shellfish that is high in iron. And then other contaminants that could be harmful, like there are certain fish that are very high in mercury, which is really harmful and can cause like heavy metal buildup in the body and fish to avoid in large quantities are swordfish, king mackerel, tilefish, um, also even like aki tuna. Um, those are fish that I would probably avoid because they're very high in mercury. Also, use seafoodwatch.org, I think. It's a very good source of like where to get your fish, what fish to cook, how to cook it, and like where it's sourced and how it's farmed and how it's caught. Um, it, you can really deep dive on that site. But um, if you're starting out, I'm telling everyone, 
I think that they will fall in love with the idea of fish if they start off with a good quality salmon. And then I would go into sardine. Then I would go into anchovies. Then I would go into, um, you know, maybe a, a, a flakier white fish. But then there's also, if you're on a budget, like salmon can get very expensive if you're buying wild. So can oysters, so can clams. So if you're shopping on a budget, but also want to incorporate more fish, find a local fish purveyor and fishmonger, and they will have fish that is kind of, that is, I guess, lower on the totem pole because restaurants don't want to get it because, you know, it's not a high ticket selling item. It's not a Chilean sea bass. It's not a bronzino, but it is, you know, uh, less polluted, less toxic, less microplastics in this fish probably exist. It's been less altered. It's been, there's different forms of fish that you can buy that are cheaper, higher in quality, but just not appealing to the restaurants of the world. But they could be extremely beneficial to your health, to your wallet, to your budget, and to your family. So I think just doing the research and they can also just DM me on Instagram and I will give you all the recipes to anything that you need to know. But um, just don't be scared. Do your research. And if it's on a budget, look at more budget-friendly fish. It's actually probably more health beneficial to you too because you know that they've been kind of less, um, not less altered. I'm trying to think of the word, but kind of just, they're not the it fish but they'll be more beneficial for you in the long run is what I'm trying to say. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah, that does make perfect sense. So we're going to go back to my scenario. So I have bought my fish. I went, I got it. I'm standing in my kitchen and you're talking to somebody that cannot boil water. What do I then do with my fish? I have my salmon. It looks great. What do I do? Okay. So three things that are extremely easy and you cannot mess it up. One, roasting. Roasting is a very simple process. You take a, a baking sheet, you put some sort of high heat cooking oil, and my go-to is always avocado because it is flavorless, it doesn't change the taste of the dish, and it's basically the best high heat cooking oil, so there's no toxins or um, carcinogens forming in the cooking process that you then ingest. So you're gonna put this piece of salmon in the oven, um, for anywhere from 12 to 15 minutes you take it out and you know you season it obviously salt pepper um and that is and any type of condiment that you enjoy eating in your fridge it takes 15 minutes it doesn't take anything else of cooking and then you can pair it with any salad any grain any vegetable but also another thing that nobody that a lot of people aren't talking about and I just put my grandfather onto it, is the air fryer. When I introduced the air fryer as a cooking alternative to my 78-year-old grandfather, who also has Instagram and texts and all the things, but this man was mind blown. He was like, wow, I could do all of these things and it does everything and I could just walk away and everything is cooked in a fraction of the time and in a healthy way with minimal oil. I mean, it is... Everyone basically becomes Julia Child in the face, in the in the eyes of this air fryer. So I think that 
air frying is the way to go. It is healthy. It is easy. And if you are scared in the kitchen, it will definitely help you get more confident and be um, more assertive in the kitchen. And then the next phase, you'll start pan frying it or, you know, crispy salmon skin, which is something that people are, are so scared about because I think it's a long cooking process. But basically, again, high cooking, high heat cooking oil, like avocado oil, you pat your salmon down with a paper towel so it's dry. You put skin side down. And the way that the universe and cooking and heat works is that when the protein is cooked on one side, it automatically will lift off of your pan, allowing you to get that perfect sear and flip it over. People are always scared that they're messing something up when they're cooking. So you always see someone over stirring, over, you know, constantly at the pan. But the art of cooking is that the heat, the oil, and the whatever's in the pan kind of do it themselves. And we just kind of have to let it, let it do its thing and just know when it's time to flip. And there's no errors in cooking. It's also just a fun thing to learn. You feel very accomplished once you've learned the art of like creating a nutritious and delicious meal. It's very like fulfilling. So I think start small, work your way up, start with the air fryer, then put it in the oven and then work your way up to pan frying it or searing it. And I think cooking fish will no longer be such a daunting task. I like your message of let it do its thing. Cause I am one of those people just because I can't cook. I feel like I need to poke it, turn it, stir it. Yeah. <laughs> so my culinary school teacher, chef Alex said, so in culinary school, because it was such a health supportive program. And now in my cooking, I don't use nonstick pans. I only use stainless steel pans and then like cast iron and coated cast iron. And when you cook a protein, it is, this is why they say it's like the art of cooking. On a stainless steel pan, there is the art of keeping the heat properly, um, hitting the pan in all the right ways. So you put the oil in the pan, you let the pan get hot, and then you put your protein. And I remember it was like, we had, it was like restaurant night and we had to like showcase, you know, a really per perfectly seared chicken breast and I couldn't get it. I kept like digging at it with my spatula. I kept sticking. I kept getting so mad. And my chef came up to me and he's, she's like, you're not doing it right because you're not listening. You're not working the heat properly. You just turn on the pan, you put the oil, the protein will know when it's ready on that side and it will perfectly come off without being stuck to the bottom of the pan for you to flip. Like your food will basically tell you when it's done if you just calm down and watch. I'm going to try that theory out. I'll let you, I will let you know how that works for me. Let me know, please. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm kind of, if you see like the chicken breast will come off perfectly. The salmon skin won't stick to the bottom of the pan. It will like automatically release. It's yeah, it's wonderful. It's a <laughs> phenomenon. <laughs> I'll, I will let you know if that works for me. But I'm going to, so now that you've talked to the beginners in the group that, that can't cook like me, I want to know what's your favorite seafood dish to cook. If you were doing something special, what are, what are you doing? What, what's chef Julia, Julia doing in her kitchen? Um, so 
I, I eat a lot of fish and I love seafood. And there's three main ways that I love to cook it. Um, every year in the summer, I, I live in New York City, so we have an, I have an apartment, but we have a rooftop. So I invite all my neighbors and friends, and we usually do about like 40 people, and I make a giant lobster boil on my rooftop in New York City. I get about 50 to 100 lobsters, clams, shrimp, mussels, um, and I do a giant lobster boil bake, and then we dump it on the tables over parchment paper, and the whole building kind of goes crazy. So that's like my one favorite summer tradition of seafood. Um, but I really like also incorporating different um, te- uh, cooking techniques when I keep making my seafood. So the one of the best, healthiest, and cheapest ways to make fish without having to do anything at all is buying a dim sum steamer. You buy a two-level dim sum steamer and you need a frying pan with about anywhere like halfway up filled with water. You put the dim sum steamer on top. You put your protein on the bottom. So let's say I have a little bit of parchment paper and I put a piece of salmon there. I season it with salt, pepper, maybe some ginger, some lemon. I put the second level of um, dim sum steamer on top and that's where I put my vegetables. Let's say I put broccoli, green beans, snap peas, some carrots. I season it as well. Maybe I drizzle on a little bit of olive oil and I cover it. And I let that steam for anywhere from 12 to 15 minutes, depending on how thick my salmon filet was. And in 15 minutes, you have a extremely healthy, light steamed dinner. And all you did was kind of place it and turn on the, turn on the, the, um, Oh my gosh, why can't I say, turned on the gas, the the (laughs) oven. Thank you, the stove. Um, But it's so simple, but it looks like such a process because Asian cuisine has so many steps and all these things that people think that dim sum steamers are only something that you get at a Chinese restaurant. But it's a $15 purchase on Amazon and it is such a healthy and easy way to get healthy nutrients and so that is one of my favorite ways to cook fish as well. And then I have been on a serious, serious sardine kick. I am obsessed with them. I think that growing up, it was super common in my culture. It was always on the table. Um, and I think people are really scared of it. It's kind of having a moment now. But there are so many nutrients in canned fish. We're eating the bones, we're getting collagen, we're getting omega-3s, we're getting iron, we're getting such good like DHA for brain health um, and brain tissue and cognitive function. And, you know, there's been proven science that it like that eating high omega-3 fatty acid, uh, high omega-3 fatty acids can prevent and reduce risk of dementia, Alzheimer's, improve your mood, your behavior. So... People, stop sleeping on mackerel, sardines, anchovies. Put them into soups, stews. Use anchovies when you're making pasta. Um, like I said about miso, sauteing a little bit of anchovies into your olive oil before making your sauce or your pasta dish elevates the flavor. It gives it a umami burst. It doesn't taste like fish. It tastes like salty goodness. 
but you just added so much nutrients into that dish that didn't have it before. You've been, you're inspiring. I'm like, I need to try this. I feel like I could, I, I feel like I could just sum up this at least. Yeah. But try the dim sum steamer. It's, it's, it's like game changer. I feel like I could do that. That's, a, that's about my, my level. Of yeah. <laughs> okay. So since I can't come over for, for your summer dinner of <laughs> top, I know I can go to your restaurant. And yes. I know you, you touched on it a little bit before as to how it ended up getting opened. But can you tell me, like, what do you serve there? Can you, can you tell people a little bit about the menu that you have? Yeah. So our menu right now is currently fully vegan. And like I mentioned before, we have been around for 21 years and we kind of are known in the community for our veggie burgers, which are, you know, nutrient dense, made with brown rice, clean ingredients. There's no processed foods. Um, we source all of our ingredients as much as we possibly can from local within New York state as much as possible, but definitely everything on our menu is organic. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, we started this in 2001 where whole foods wasn't around like it is now and organic markets were not around and even sourcing organic produce was not a thing. Um, so we really pride ourselves on that and we try to make a specific menu of things that are seasonal and local and, you know, have health benefits um we only have biodynamic wines we have gluten-free beers um we have things on the menu that you typically won't find at every restaurant because we're trying to adhere to that person that probably has some sort of health supportive need they have some sort of food restriction something that they're trying to avoid something they're trying to implement it's definitely geared towards the person who is trying to better their eating habits, better their um, overall health. So, and that then made me realize that there should be people who are hiring private chefs these days aren't hiring private chefs to have a uh, crazy one-of-a-kind experience. Some of them are, don't get me wrong, but like in major metropolitan cities like New York, LA, San Francisco, Miami, the app, the person who is hiring a private chef is probably hiring them for optimal health purposes. And I, we've realized that that is the ultimate and um, the future of where private chefs and health food stores and healthy organic restaurants are all going. Because I think that we're now realizing that we are what we eat. We should be taking better care of ourselves from within. And I think we're also trying to really, as a whole, combat, you know, lobbyists and government for what they're kind of doing to our food supply and what they're doing to our crops and kind of our everyday products that somehow have some form of harmful ingredient without us ever knowing it. That makes perfect sense. And I, I mean, I, the fact that you started this back in 2001 is is incredible because like you said it really wasn't something that was around you know what I mean it was something that people were that was on people's radar so my question for you is what's next for chef Julia 
I personally think that one area that is being neglected in the health and wellness space is women's health. I think that nobody knows, even women don't know about their cycles. They don't know that we should be eating differently according to where you are week by week in your cycle. Um, you know, men run on a uh, circadian rhythm, so they have their cycle changes daily while we run on the, like a moon cycle, so ours changes every 28 to 30 days. Mm-hmm. I think that women make up a large portion of the health and wellness industry, and I think that female health is very underfunded, under underdeveloped and I think that if you take a look at the whole of women and where we're going women are getting their periods much younger um women are having and uh lots of PCOS that goes undiagnosed people women are having fertility issues women are having hormonal issues women are being put on birth control for hormonal act all of these things and I want to make sure that women know that all of these issues that are are all stemmed from the food that they're putting into their body and it could all be retrofitted and fixed by knowing how to eat for our cycle knowing how to eat for the first 40 days after postpartum like no wonder women have postpartum depression all of our family members are bringing us casseroles and pies and pasta dishes which thank you family please keep bringing them but they we don't know that we should be eating fermented foods iron rich foods dark leafy greens you know um brewer's yeast and different things for lactation for optimal health for the baby that we shouldn't be eating certain grains because that will affect the baby and in turn affect us so what i am saying is the next and the future goals for health chef julia and health chefs is to tap into this women's health field because I think that there is so much that we don't know about and so much that is being um, lost in translation and not being taught to us at a young age for optimal health for the future. So I really want to empower and teach young girls and new moms and um, millennial women like me that we don't all have to have PMS and all these symptoms that it is all treatable from what we put into our bodies and how we treat ourselves. Well, I think you may have answered my next question, but I'm gonna ask you in case you wanna if you in case you want to paraphrase. I I always end up because we're getting close to the end of our of our chat. I always ask people, why do you decide to do this podcast? You know, we reached out and your schedule is very busy as we can hear. <laughs> Why was it important for you to take out, you know, two hours out of your time to sit down and chat and and talk to people about this? Um, I think it was important because I think people are scared. People are, I think it's a very daunting thing. You can Google, you know, cycle syncing. It's gonna tell you all these lists and all these things. You can Google what to eat postpartum and you're gonna be like overwhelmed. And you're going to give up. You're going to go for that, you know, bread instead of the broccoli because it's not easily accessible. It's daunting. It's a lot of work. You don't know where to go. You don't know where to do. There's a lot of homework involved. So 
I want to take the homework out of it for people. I want to make it easy, accessible. I want women to feel confident that they, they're not asking too much, that it's okay to um, take care of yourself first because we as women are caregivers. And I think that we sometimes forget about our own health. And I think that through media and social media, there's a lot of things that get lost in translation along the way. And I just want women and young girls to feel confident, feel happy and be healthy and know what things to reach for and what to do. And, um, you know, I think maybe that will empower women on such a visceral level that we won't have body shaming. We won't have eating disorders. We won't have food dysmorphia, like body dysmorphia. We won't have a lot of issues if food and diet and health is talked about in a more open and more um, inclusive way. I couldn't agree with you more. And I and I have to tell you, I have truly, truly, truly enjoyed this conversation. I mean, thank you. Your enthusiasm coupled with knowledge is is a really nice mix. So, I mean, thank you. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for, you know, agreeing to do this. And I want to, if people want to, you know, reach out to you either for your services or to learn more, learn more about your restaurant, what's, how can they find you? What's your, what's your social? So all my socials are the same. It's Health Chef Julia um, on Instagram. My website is Health Chef Julia and Facebook Health Chef Julia. If they want to find the restaurant, it's called The Organic Grill, and we're located at 133 West 3rd Street in the West Village. Also, website, theorganicgrill.com. And then if anyone is looking for private chef services, meal planning, just, you know, really want to help with healthy cooking and options, please contact us at healthchefs.com. And the Instagram is at healthchefs. Thank you so much, Julia. Thank you. Janet.